Hello, I'm Adam Riley. It's the day after the primaries here in Massachusetts, and you are listening to the Scrum Podcast, where every week we talk about media and politics from Beacon Hill to the Beltway. Today we're coming to you from a very special location in the field, the historic Omni Parker House in downtown Boston, a hotel known, among other things, for its delicious cream pie, Parker House rolls, and power breakfasts. The defeated Steve Grossman joined newly nominated Democratic gubernatorial nominee Martha Coakley here this morning for... Uh, what they always call a unity breakfast. Uh, We will be talking about that in a moment. But first, I want to note we had a ton of great entries for the Scrum's first ever primary prediction challenge. Uh, The data is currently being crunched. We don't know who the winner is yet. We're going to tell you as soon as we do. But I can tell you that just over a quarter of you guessed each winner correctly. So stay tuned for more information. Let's move on to... The Unity Breakfast and the events of last night. I'm with Sarah Birnbaum of WGBH News, Peter Kadzis of WGBH News, and David Bernstein of w, uh, WGBH News. You guys all have alternate titles, but I'm not going to do them here. What surprised you most about last night's primary results? What surprised me was the, the, the huge size of Healy's victory. I expected her to win. I thought it would be, you know, one of those races that are close, but which she one handily. I mean, the size of her victory was astounding to me. It was like a Menino re-election outcome, you know, 60-some percent to, to, you know, mid to high 30s. Why do you think that she won by so much? I really don't know. I mean, listen, she's an incredibly attractive candidate. I mean, attractive intellectually, physically, emotionally. She's a great candidate. Um, by emotionally, don't get to get, by emotionally, I meant she, she touches people in a way. She, she's a fresh breeze, you know. Um, I, I think part of it is a testimony to the, the you know, LGBTQ community. I mean, I don't see how we can avoid having that as a conclusion. Sarah Burba? I think the Deval Patrick endorsement backfired. I totally agree. I thought that was a big mistake. I don't know that that provided the margin of victory, but I completely agree with you. David Bernstein, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that uh, everything was sort of rolling her way, that, that she was the fresh face out of everybody who was running. She, it was sort of a generational thing. She was the, the young, energetic. She had the sort of chutzpah to take on the establishment. And every time that that started to, to work, the answer of uh, Warren Tolman was to grab more of the establishment. And I think that Sarah's right. I think that that backfired. I think the thing about him uh, using the potentially sexist term uh, of, uh, of saying that she was being unbecoming, I think that that was bad to a certain extent because of the perceived sexism, but it was particularly bad because it was like it was like he was saying, don't challenge me. What are you doing, woman who we've never heard of, daring to challenge me, Warren Tolman? It sort of had that, uh, that effect on people's ears, I think. Yeah, you know, I, I think that one incident was overblown. I think what you're dead dead right on is the new generation. Maybe, you know, when I was effusing a minute ago, that's what I was trying to get at. She and Molten both appear to be, you know, a brand new generation. You're talking, of course, about Seth Moulton, who just beat John Tierney. Correct. You know, in in the same way that the two finalists for mayor of Boston represented a whole new generation. And I think people want change. You know, very simple. They want change, but they want continuity. She represents that. I would point out that that if you take a look at the, the... People who won on the slate, you know, the people who really rose above and won, particularly statewide, 
what you're looking at are people who are not like the rest of the party who is gathered here today. It, uh, what you basically are seeing here today is a bunch of straight men, mostly white men, but straight men celebrating the the gay and or female candidates who are going to represent them on the on the ticket. And not only that, but the people that, that were nominated don't have titles in front of their names. The state reps, the state senators, the, the, the treasurer, you know, well, aside minute, from actually, it. Aside let, me, let me just jump in for one second. I mean, the people who were nominated were Attorney General Martha Coakley, uh, you know, her. Uh, that governor is a little bit different because everybody gets to know who's running for governor, especially when you're talking about a low turnout where it's really the, the base. When you take a look at the others, look, Deb Goldberg and Steve Kerrigan are insiders, insiders to anyone who's in this room, in this unity breakfast. We all know that they are the insiders, insiders, but they don't have titles in front of their names. They've never held office before. So to the outside world, that's what stood out against a Steve Tolman and, and a Tom Conroy and a, um, a State Senator Barry Feingold. A couple other topics I want to get to. Uh, Martha Coakley's margin of victory has been taken by some as uh, worrisomely slim. I'm wondering if you all agree that she didn't win by as much as she needed to win by. Is that correct or incorrect? Sarah, Rubin? That is correct. She needed to win by a much larger margin, especially since the story before the election was all about she's polling in the double digits and then to win by six points just it feels like a loss even though it was a win i can understand that but i have to say i, I think poor martha can't get a break she won i think it was inevitable that grossman would close that that field uh she was expected to win by more but she won i guess i guess i'm beginning to feel sympathy for the way we in the media keep bringing this narrative out yeah, and I'm, I'm going to say that that is the big thing. And that was what people were talking about in the few days leading up to the election. How much does she have to win by? What if she only wins by single digits? What does that mean? And now that's what everyone's going to talk about. But you're talking about the insiders talking about that. And, and what I think happened is you've got, you had a situation where uh, the people running her campaign knew coming out of the convention, she basically had this base of 45% of the, of the voters, more or less, a little more with more turnout, a little less with less turnout, um, that were going to vote for her. And in a three-way race, that was going to win. And so they didn't have to do anything but play the Rose Garden strategy and prepare for the Baker race. They didn't run ads. They didn't have the money raised to raise ads, but they didn't pull in the money to, raise, to run ads. They didn't have outside groups running ads. They played very, very safe. They didn't go negative at all against the other candidates. They played very, very safe. That did not help them in terms of running up the score, but I think it's overblown to think that it's going to matter going forward. Just for the record, in our scrum poll, um, she did better than I predicted. I thought she was going to do, I think, 39.1%. I saw that through the point one on just to be whimsical. But she did better than I expected her to do. A couple subplots I also want to get your collective take on from last night that fascinate me. Labor and its role as kingmaker, or its lack of a role as kingmaker, when Marty Walsh was elected mayor, a lot of people, myself included, assumed that labor's support for him was decisive. Warren Tolman seemed to have labor locked up heading into the race for AG, uh, and yet Maura Healy blew him out of the water. What does that tell us about what labor can and can't do politically here in Massachusetts? I think labor can't be split, and we saw them split on several candidates. If they act all together, I think that they can really help or really get someone elected, especially since they fuel the get out the vote operations. 
But they, I, were they split in the AGs race? I mean, I know that Healy had a Teamsters endorsement, maybe a couple others that I'm not aware of, but I saw Tolman as the labor guy in that race, and yet that wasn't enough to get it done. Yeah, I, well, I think the labor can't dictate a winner, you know, and, uh, and especially in a statewide race. You know, you, you did see that labor was, for the most part, behind Deb Goldberg, and she did better than expected. You know, the margin of victory that she put up, I think, was very impressive. I think that labor picks its, has to pick its spots. It'll be very interesting to see how unified they are going forward. I think they will be. Um, the, I think that the bigger story is that endorsements from politicians do nothing, uh, because you saw Barry Feingold had the lion's share of those. Uh, Steve Grossman had the lion's share of those. Tolman, certainly. And if anything, I think those backfired. And yet, those were really important in the mayor's race here in Boston. So I think that's an interesting distinction to draw. Yeah, well, I think people in the mayor's race, thats a, I was thinking that when you said, I think people in the mayor's race were looking for a reason to diss Conley. But I may be taking a cheap shot there. <laughs> I was going to say, the only measure of la- the only measure that counts is going to be how Labor performs in the final election. And I think they're going to really... Um, I think they're really going to go after Charlie Baker. Also worth remembering, of course, that Marty Walsh was a former labor leader when he was elected mayor of Boston. And Warren Tolman, while his brother's a labor leader, he's a corporate lawyer. Another question I have, uh, big issue in the general election is going to be whether uh, Charlie Baker can pull women voters to him. He lost among female voters very, very badly four years ago to Deval Patrick. When I was at Baker headquarters last night, I kept hearing again and again, oh, women will be willing to vote for Charlie this time around because they're really concerned about domestic issues. Actually, it wasn't put that way. It was pocketbook issues. But the, the general idea that I was getting, this wasn't from Baker himself, but from a lot of his surrogates, was you know, in the domestic sphere where women are concerned about finances and that sort of thing, Charlie's really going to speak to them. And David, as I said to you last night on the radio, that seems to me like sort of a retrograde take on gender and what motivates women to vote. So will Baker do better with women than he did against Patrick four years ago? You're absolutely right that that is the absolute wrong way to, to look at it and to approach it. And, you know, I follow uh, women in politics nationally and particularly the plight of Republican women and, and the, the trouble that they have with women. And you constantly hear that refrain. For 10 years now, they've been, they've, you know, the Republican leaders have been going out, we're going to win with women because we have the pocketbook issues. And it never works. It never works. Uh, on the other hand, I think Baker and his team, to a large extent, do get what they need to, to do. And um, you see the, the ad that they've come out with today that they were ready to go with the day after with uh, Baker's daughter, grown daughter, talking to him about what a great guy he is and how much he gets women. Is issues, you know, doesn't put it that way. But um, I think that they, uh, they are, I think it's a very good ad. And I, I think that the big play of the Democrats is going to be to go after him on issues like earned sick time that he opposes uh, and others where they think that they can drive the women's vote back to Martha Coakley. I'll tell you, I'm not sure Baker, I don't think Baker can successfully make a targeted pitch to women. I think Baker is best if um, he plays off the theme he struck at the Venezia yesterday, which was, let's go for a better Massachusetts. You know, not saying that the current Massachusetts is wrong, but I think he has to cast a wide net and not be narrow. Peter, I hate to interrupt oh, you, Jesus, but we have former gubernatorial candidate Juliet Kayyem here. Uh, Juliet, you're our first ever impromptu political guest on the Scrum. I'd love to get your take on, yes, on last night's outcomes and what you were surprised by. What was I surprised by? I think uh, Moulton's big victory. 
over Tierney uh, was surprising. And I think more, I mean, I think just the size of it, because uh, you didn't get that sense driving around Boston that it would be like that. Let me ask you this. Uh, turnout is, is key for Democrats. Yes. And in the last several election cycles, they've had very uh, energizing people at the top, yeah. Deval Patrick, uh, Barack Obama, particularly to drive up uh, young voters, yes. minority voters. Yes. What is the what does Martha Coakley and the Democratic Party have to do to do that again? Well, I think they need uh, to get out to all of those communities early and often. We see what Charlie's doing; he's already doing it. I think it's to use uh, people who were in the race who didn't win, who might be appealing to those audiences to get out there. And and we've all been approached about doing that. Uh, when you ask me what was surprising. It's pathetic. Okay, here's an well, here's an impromptu. You're talking the turnout. The turnout. Here's an impromptu response. If I'm your first impromptu guest, we work our butts off, right? I mean, to engage people and whatever. And I, I was shocked. Uh, first of all, no one can think that this is going to be an easy race for Democrats, regardless of who the candidate was. You just look at what's going on in the world and the Senate and the House races and stuff. It's going to be hard for Democrats. Uh, and secondly, we had some great candidates on the on the ticket. And we need to be a little bit angry at a party that is, uh, I'm tired of hearing there's no one engaging. There's plenty of people engaging and ideas are engaging and, uh, uh, and beating Charlie Baker is engaging. Uh, one last very quick question. Uh, we were just talking before we grabbed you about how uh, Charlie Baker is going to appeal to women voters. So are you going to be voting for him? No. Is he, is he? No, I know he thought I endorsed him in a really weird scenario <laughs> in which all I did uh, was compliment him uh, in the sense that I believe this honestly and I understand politics, but I don't think you're going to appeal to the average voter uh, by saying he's, um, he's the devil. I think we have to I mean, he's he's not. He's appealing and he's pouring drinks and buying shoes or whatever you guys cover about him. But uh, and wait, she, wait, wait, well, wait! I just uh, so let's hold it right there. <laughs> pouring drinks and buying our, shoes. Our I don't even know what you're talking our, about. Our, our, our first impromptu, our first impromptu political guest immediately blames the media for everything. <laughs> no, I no, no, it. no. I mean, it's you know, it's going to be about the future and ideas, and that's what we have to remember because uh, that's what's going to draw out. Um, the the voters, but uh, no, uh, I will not be supporting Charlie Baker. All right, I have one more uh -oh. question for you before we so let good. you go. Are you, are you gonna Are you gonna run again for higher office? Oh my God! No, can we get through this one? I really loved it. Uh, I loved engaging people. I'm like a totally social person, and I and I love ideas, and I love it. But I'm not sure. Uh, you know, it, I'll be. I mean, it seemed like the timing was right that there maybe there was going to be a window. The crowd was just, you know, the field was just too crowded, and Martha's just so strong, and we're just going to all support her now. Uh, that that moment in which you say, "Okay, I'm going to jump," will happen again. It's like, uh, you know, maybe it's like a good marriage. Once is good enough. And speaking of which, congratulations to your husband. The, oh, the, thank the you judge, very much. Yes, judge. I just went to his first oral argument, uh, hearing oral argument. He came out in a black robe, and I felt like. We were old. We got old somehow. I'm a former gubernatorial candidate, and he's a judge. And I thought that, you know, that is old. But you guys, actually, I'm just making fun of you. On the inside, I hate you guys. On the outside, you really uh, did a re <laughs> remarkable job. I don't even understand what that means, what you but, just said. But no, it sounds like a backhanded inside, compliment. No, no, so when I, you're running, this guy, when you're running, 
you know, this, I love this guy, um, David Bernstein. Uh, That's, it's uh, hard. David Bernstein, WGBH yes. political analyst exactly. and contributing editor exactly. at Boston Magazine. Exactly. Yes, exactly. what were you going to say about me? Not I'm sorry. that we love you. Everything you say is absolutely right. Uh, no, it's hard. But uh, as, as someone who just became a viewer, uh, thank you for what you do. Political, political commentary and analysis is hard because it's hard to see what, what's going on. Okay, now I have to go to Marjorie Egan and Jim Browdy and, I don't know, talk about ISIS. It's so goddamn depressing. Oh, can I say goddamn? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm not a candidate? No, then this is hell, a podcast. Hell, damn. Yep. Okay, what else? I'll stop well, we there. Stop I'll stop there. <laughs> Julia, thank you. Thank you. Mark, thank you guys it. all. Good see luck for the, the next 10 weeks. Okay, bye. bye. I don't see how we cannot leave it there because nothing we say is going to hold a candle to that. So that is going to do it for this edition of the Scrum Podcast from a very special field location, the Omni Parker House in downtown Boston. If you like what you hear on the Scrum today or any day, then please subscribe to it in iTunes. You can also catch more from us on our blog, which you can find at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. The team here at the Scrum includes WGBH political analyst David Bernstein, WGBHnews.org senior editor Peter Kadzis, and producer Abby Ruzica. Our special guest today was WGBH News reporter Sarah Birnbaum. I'm WGBH News reporter Adam Riley. Thanks for listening.